0: It's twelve oh nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, I don't hear that very often in my year. Right before the show starts, my producer, Rue, I love curling. You just yeah. don't, you don't. You just don't hear that. I mean, you hear. I love football. I love baseball. He loves curling. Says he's curled for eight years. That's impressive. Well, it's something. It, 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 it's something. You so, know what? I I did it once for a story. Yeah,
1: and it's intense. Like people are screaming. There's a lot of yelling. Just mm-hmm. like any other. You know, if you're going to go play basketball with the guys in the neighborhood, and they they get all amped up. Same thing goes for curling. It's it's incredible.
0: It's just incredible. saying. Well, just that you, saying. you don't hear that very often either. That curling. It's incredible. All I'm right, just, I'm just it's it's, intense. It's, it gets intense. It, well, the the Olympics are coming up. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Let's start with big story number one. Um, snow is on the way. Now, I was listening to a report, one of our reporters, Tony. He was not at the place I was at uh, today because here's the deal. I, I'm driving into work, and um, the, I, I'm listening to the forecasts. We're going to have a snow e- event. I, I know the National Weather Service puts out kind of the scary terms, winter storm warning and things like that, but but it appears like there is going to be a, a snow event down in northern Illinois or Chicago, they're talking about you know maybe somewhere between six inches of snow to a foot, um, six plus inches along the state line. Milwaukee three to six, a little bit less as you move further north. And and, and it could be again the track of the storm moves a little bit one way or the other, and, and we could get less, we could get slightly more. But you know you're you're going to be talking about admittedly a, a significant snow e- event, several inches of of snow and it's gonna hit overnight. Now the plows will be out, but it's gonna be a probably dicey commute if you have to be somewhere at eight or eight thirty tomorrow morning. All right. The snow though is supposed to wind down by, you know, tomorrow afternoon. And then if you look at the long-term forecast, it's it's not bad. I mean, matter of fact, you go out the next 10 days, and it's supposed to be in the 30s by a, a good portion of next week. Um, no more precipitation. Looks like this snow train thing is kind of over. So it's not like this is early January where you get whomped by six inches or a foot of snow. And then it's on the ground, you know, forever. I mean, it looks like, you know, again, significant snow event. I'm not trying to downplay it. You want to be cautious about this, and you want to make preparations, but it is not the end of the world. I have always believed that we do snow pretty well around here. Now, I understand sometimes when you get hit by a lot of the snow, sometimes if you live in different neighborhoods, the plows don't get to you as promptly as you'd like, and it's a pain in the butt to have to go out and shovel snow. But as a general rule... We we don't get snowed in. I remember February. What was it? Seven years ago, the, the, when the Packers were playing in the Super Bowl in Dallas, and I I, I was going. The Tuesday, the I, we were, I was flying out Thursday. Tuesday, we got hit by. It is the last true blizzard. I remember us getting hit by. I mean, and it was. Over a foot of snow and the 35 mile an hour winds, and and it and it was Tuesday. And I remember it was such a big deal that here at the station, um, if you did like the over, if you did the early morning show or you did the 8:30 shift, they were saying, okay, we need you to be in at work, and so we'll even put you up in hotels and stuff. Well, I, I lived close to here, so I mean, I didn't need to do that. But okay, so we got whumped, lots and lots of snow. My biggest problem though was getting my car out of my driveway. Once I got the car out of the driveway, the roads were. Passable, And this was after like a foot to a foot and a half of snow. You, you you could get around, and this is just a couple hours after this major snow event. So I guess my, my point is, you know, if we get snow overnight, um, it, you might – might take you a little longer to get where you're going. There might be an inconvenience, but my guess is by tomorrow evening. All right, you know you're you're gonna if you got plans for tomorrow evening, you're you're gonna be able to go and engage in them. Certainly, if you got plans for the weekend, you're gonna be able to go and engage in them. So that's kind of the backdrop. So this morning, I am driving in, and I noticed last night I take this over the counter medication and occasionally, and and I noticed I was down to like my last two or three pills. So. I was just, I was thinking, you know, gee, since it's front of mind, I want to stop off. And you can get the stuff I'm talking about at any grocery store or drugstore or whatever. I thought, okay, I'm going to stop off at this grocery store that's kind of on my way in. So I pull into the grocery store, and, and I, I admit, I'm not thinking snow. I pull into the grocery store, and I notice that it a lot of parking. I mean, a lot of cars are, 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 are in the parking lot, and I'm still not registering. I, I go in. And there's lines at the various cashier stations. And there's people with shopping carts full of full of stuff. And all I want to do is buy my, you know, one little thing of over-the-counter uh, medication. And I, I'm just watching this. And, as a matter of fact, after I wait in line for a little bit, I end up talking to the cashier. And I said, is this because of the snow? And she said, yep. Said it's been like this since they said that there's a winter storm warning. People coming in and they're buying all sorts of stuff. And I said, well do we think that we're going to be snowed in for a week? And the lady I was talking to said, it's like this every time there is a prediction of even more than just a little bit of snow. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I understand the need to be prepared. I I get it. But at the same time, a prediction of 2 to 4 to 6, to eight inches of snow to fall overnight and then to stop snowing and essentially the system to be out of here by, you know, early afternoon tomorrow. Uh, I just, I don't see that as a justification for needing to run out and buy the stores out of milk and bread and meat and things like that because the bottom line is, you know, you're going to be able to go out and get to the store tomorrow. Now, I I get That if you need milk or you need bread, it makes sense to go get it um, today, now, perhaps instead of tonight when it's going to be snowing. But this idea that we need to stockpile stuff is just beyond me. And it ties into this regular thing that I've noticed. I think we are becoming complete and total weather weenies. And there's just no other way to say it that we're freaking out. Or at least some people freak out because you hear a forecast that says you're going to get six or seven or eight inches of snow. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet uh, Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just – I think we are becoming a city, a state – a nation of weather weenies. And I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible, and I'm not downplaying in any way, shape, or form the fact that you're going to have a snow event, you know, tonight that does require you to plan ahead and recognize that it's going to take a little bit more time to get where you're going tomorrow morning. But really, we've got to go hit the grocery stores. You will be able to get out Friday afternoon. Greg in Northeast Illinois. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ.
2: I just love the show, man. Thank you. Uh yeah, I work for a grocery company in northeastern Illinois, and I'm preparing for battle today. I'm on my way in right now. They called me in early.
0: They called you in early.
2: <laughs> yeah. This happens even when they say there's going to be ice on the road. Uh, in, in the store, we call it snowmageddon shoppers. <laughs> what, whatever, whatever the forecast is, we'll see people buying the craziest stuff. They'll buy it off the shelf as if they're going to get snowed in for weeks on end. You're absolutely right. I. I haven't been in grocery my entire life. I've been it for about 10 years, and every time it snows, I'm constantly amazed by the ridiculous system, people. There's just no common sense. They'll buy anything and
0: everything. Well, well, right, exactly. And, and this isn't the 1940s where, you know, maybe maybe a foot snowfall would have paralyzed the community for, you know, a, a couple days. You know, this is 2018. We have all these snow plows. We have all this snow removal equipment. We have stuff that we put on the roads. People will be, even worst-case scenario, even if you get six, eight, nine inches of snow um, tonight, you, you'll be able to get around tomorrow night. That's just the reality of it.
2: Oh, I agree. I mean, roads are going to be tenuous at best. It's going to be a challenge, but uh, we'll 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 get through the day. I'm pretty sure. But again, try telling that to most customers, and they just don't want to hear. It.
0: <laughs> Thanks for well, it is. I mean, I'm standing there in this particular grocery store, and I, I just. It, it got it was almost kind of comical because I'm looking at people and they're buying like six loaves of bread. They're buying, you know, and there's all this milk and stuff that's going out there. And I mean, I'm thinking, OK, what, what do you really think is going to happen? Now, again, I understand if you need milk or you need bread or you you, need, you have to get dinner. Well, OK, get it in the morning, maybe. So if, I mean, if this is it's not even supposed to start snowing till later on this evening, like eight or nine o'clock. But I understand you want to be prepared because you don't want to have to fool with it tonight or you won't, don't want to have to fool with it tomorrow morning. I get all that. And I I do understand the whole notion of be prepared, and that's why you know we encourage people listen to WTMJ. We'll keep you up to date on the road conditions. But like I say, I remember that blizzard in February of 2011, a true blizzard. We got whooped with a ton of snow, and the truth is, you know, by 10 o'clock that following morning, you were able to get where you needed to go. You might have had to drive a little bit slow, more slowly. But for goodness sakes, here's a text. I think people overreact a bit in response to a constant media barrage telling them to be prepared, but at least some of it also might be that younger people keep much lower supplies and buy groceries much more often and in lesser quantities than older generations did, so they stock up before the storm to avoid having to do it in inclement weather. Well, all right, I mean, I, I understand that, that there's that element there, too, but I, I was looking at, I mean, okay, you, you, you don't need, trust me, you don't need to go out and buy three packs of disposable diapers, all right? You're going to be able to get out to the store and do it, and I just, all right, Weather weenies, no question about it. All right, when we come back, big story number two, and this one's making my head explode. The Olympics are just getting underway, and already there is a controversy involving race. Stick around. It's 1220. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, a number of our texters um, are, are, are blaming blaming us blaming me as a part of the the media uh, here's some of the text the media hypes everything uh sensationals media affects forecasting too i blame the news stations um i think that what happened this is heather with benz i think that what happens is that folks hear a forecast for an event that's a few days away and they don't think to recheck the forecast as the event approaches these things are fluid and can change they complain that the forecast was incorrect Um, all of that, I guess, is correct to an extent. But at the same time, uh, if, if people are fascinated by weather, and I understand that some people say there's too much weather coverage, I will tell you, I have done this full or part time now for 23 years. And every study you see is that people want to hear about the weather. It is the one common thing that's there. And for everybody who complains, oh, there's too much weather, um, I will tell you, the TV stations will say, well, if we're not in weather coverage, somebody's going to tune in to the other station because they want to know what's going on. So that's why you hear it. Now, you know, is stuff over, hyped from time to time? That's fine. But, but I, I guess my point is, I mean, here you have a forecast, and they're not talking about the end of the world. I, I think this forecast has been... Again, assuming that it ends up being correct. If it's wrong, that's a whole different story. But assuming it's correct, they're, they're saying, okay, this is what it's gonna be. It's gonna be, you know, a significant snow event. Um the worst to the southern part of the listening area where you could get six to nine inches, Milwaukee, you know, three to six inches, a little bit less um, the further north you go. All right, that, that's how they're presenting it. They're not talking about, hey, this is, you know, there's going to be 50 mile an hour winds afterwards. They're not saying a blizzard. All I know is, you know, what I think is a relatively typical snow event for Wisconsin, and I, I'm watching people make a run on <laughs> stores buying bread. I'm just convinced, and I guess maybe you can say the media plays a role in it, but the big point is, I think we're just becoming weatherweenies. Just weatherweenies. Led perhaps by you millennials, Grew. You, you guys that love curling. You know, all that, all that sort of stuff. All right. Big story number two. The Olympics are this evening, and there is, all, the Olympics start actually today. The, the opening ceremonies are going to be uh, this evening, and there is already a controversy involving the U.S. Olympic team. All right, the, the Olympic opening ceremonies are really, really cool. Um, I, I know people who have been to them. I know a couple people who were at the ones when the Winter Olympics were in Salt Lake City. And it's part of, like, the ticket package that you had to buy. You had to take the opening ceremonies one. And I, the people I know who went were kind of like, eh, but then they said how cool it was. All right, so the way the Olympics, the ceremonies work is each Olympic team, all the athletes from all the different disciplines, march in and there's one olympian from every delegation who gets to carry the flag and it's a big deal who gets to carry the flag all right uh the person who's going to be carrying the flag um tonight is a um well it, it's not shawnee davis um it's going to be a. Uh, 35-year-old, it's going to be a woman, her name is Erin Hamlin. Um, she won a bronze medal in the luge in Sochi in 2014. It was the first medal for an American in singles luge in Olympic history. She is going to be carrying the flag. Um, Shani Davis, who is a four-time Olympic medalist and a five-time Olympian, he is upset that he didn't get to carry the flag. And he's so upset that he didn't get to carry the flag, he actually is also black, that he took to Twitter yesterday. I am an American, and when I won the 100 meters in 2010, I became the first American to two-peat in that event at Team USA, dishonorably tossed a coin to decide it's 2018 flag bearer. No problem. I can wait until 2022. Hashtag Black History Month 2018. All right? So he's he's black. Here's how you pick, and here's how they pick who carries the flag. There, The U.S. Olympic Committee doesn't have anything really to do with it. There are eight different federations that send members to the Olympics. Um, for example, for the Winter Olympics, I actually kind of pulled this out, the, the different they're, they're really, they're different, they're federations, they represent different disciplines. Um, so you've got one federation which represents the biathlon, bobsled, skeleton, another one curling, figure skating, hockey, luge, ski and snowboarding, ski, speed skating. There, there's eight of these federations. Each federation has an athlete that is on this committee. So you've got eight athletes, one from each of the different disciplines, and they vote on who they want to have carry the flag. The rule is you can't vote from somebody from your discipline. So the speed skaters can't vote for somebody in, in speed skating. All right. So the way it worked out, so you got these eight, these these eight federations, they start the voting process. And as they go round after round, what happens is four of the delegates Vote for Shawnee Davis, and four vote for this this Luge, um, the 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 woman, the Erin Hamlin, the, the Luge person. Okay, so four of them vote for Davis, four of them vote for the lady. It goes on and on and on. They have multiple rounds, and it's tied four and four. So what the rules say is after it's been tied, after a certain number of votes, you flip a coin. That's how they decided. You know, it can't go on forever. It's a tie. You flip a coin. So they flip a coin, and Shawnee Davis loses the coin flip. So as a result, Erin Hamlin, she wins the coin flip. She gets to carry the flag. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is this unfair? Is this racist? Did he get messed over? Or is this just simply the luck of the draw? 414 We're back to discuss. It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Barbara in Greenfield. Hi, Barbara. Hi. All right. Shawnee Davis says it's just not fair. There must be some racism going on here. He doesn't get to carry the Olympic flag.
3: I know. That is a very sad thing for him. And I understand his emotions. However, the U.S. Olympic Committee followed their laws and rules that they had established. They're very you know, exacting. Um, my, my training is that I'm trained as a physical education teacher. I trained with the Olympians at Indiana University Bloomington. I know a lot of the rules. I have been to the Olympics in Montreal in 1976. I've you know, been a volunteer at the Pettit Center, so I'm very involved with this and feel that Shaw, Shawnee Davis – it's sad i'm sure he he can wait again in four years and try again however if the rules were followed he shouldn't feel that this is a race color creed issue Because, well, it's it's a vote of his fellow based
0: on that. Right. It's a vote of his fellow athletes. You know, each each discipline and there's eight of them. They get a representative and and they decide. Now, my guess is that there might be some of his fellow athletes who think he's a jerk and don't like him, which is maybe why they didn't vote for him. But that's okay. That's his problem. I mean, you, you have you have a vote of eight athletes. It keeps being four to four at some point in time. You have to. What could be more fair than a vote of your fellow athletes? And after it's tied for a while, you can't have it go on forever. You flip a coin.
2: Right. <laughs> I, right. Yeah. right. That, that's that's
3: correct. And also, you know, the, the choosing of the person to carry the flag is not based on number of medals you had in the past. Oh, so and so had seven gold medals, so they need to carry the flag. For some reason, it's it's just a, a like a gut feeling. And a vote by who they felt was worthy. Maybe it's because of other aspects of their life, why they, you know, plus their accomplishments, why they were chosen to carry the flag. And I know it's very prestigious to do this, but um, he he should not feel that it's a race, color, creed, yeah. gender, um, you know, whether right. What, right. whatever.
0: Yeah. What, what was the point? Was issue. the coin? You know, was it a racist coin? They flipped a coin. You right, know. No. Right.
3: No, no, it was not. And and.
0: You know, well, I got, it. no thanks for calling, call, Barbara. Again, see, that, that's one of the things that's kind of, again, frustrating to me about this. I mean, Shawnee Davis ha- has a lot to be proud of. He's accomplished a lot. Four time Olympic medalist, five time Olympian. I think if he had been chosen by his peers to carry the flag, that would be, he would be a fine choice. There's no question about it. He's qualified to do it. Um, but on the other hand, you have, you know, this woman, Erin Hamlin, um, she was the first American to medal in, you know, this particular discipline in Olympic history. So that's kind of a big deal as well. But, you know, you have a vote, and it's this idea that this sense of entitlement and creating this controversy, like I say, I have a feeling that this has, to the extent that you had four of the eight athletes on this committee that didn't vote for him and refused to vote for him, my guess is it has less or nothing to do with his race and more out of the fact that, again, maybe he's a self-entitled jerk, and some of his people just said, you know, we, you know, we, we don't want him to be the one that represents us. Let's find this, this gal. They would have all been worthy. But it's this incessant need to play the race card over and over again that I think is is frustrating. Matter of fact, one of our listeners also corrected me. The opening ceremonies, they actually occur. The games are going on now. The opening ceremonies occur, I think, at 5 a.m. our time tomorrow morning. Not tonight, but 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. NBC shows them on tape delay. So they're going to show them, I think, on TV Friday night. But the actual games, the official opening ceremonies, because of the time difference, it's 5 a.m. And, um, Johnny Miller is not going to be the guy that's going to be carrying the, uh, carrying the flag. And I, I think, again, you can, I understand why he's upset, but this is not a race card situation. All right. Here's a little bit of good news. The, the, the Milwaukee Department of Public Works is responsible for raising revenue. The city of Milwaukee puts parking ticket revenue in their budget. They count on the fact that the checkers will write tickets, and they count on the fact that they're going to have revenue in order to make ends meet. That is why parking checkers who are under pressure to write tickets never give people breaks or almost never get people breaks because they're under pressure to write tickets. So it's one of those deals where, you know, um you see a parking checker kind of chicken hawking, you know, your vehicle, you know that the meter's just going to expire, you're running up there, the meter expires before you get there, they write you the ticket and they don't cut you any breaks. It's because they're under pressure to write tickets. And I guess that's all well and good. I think that that makes people less likely to want to Go to the city of Milwaukee, but that's under the Barrett administration. That's their philosophy. You know, we're going to raise money in this fashion. Where this becomes, I think, more than a little problematic, is where you have situations where maybe it's in the public interest to cut people breaks. I remember a couple years back where we had that massive flood. You know, that incredible rain. Remember when that happened? What was that? Like two thousand. 10-2011, sometimes in the massive rain, you had the big sinkhole on Oakland Avenue. I mean, just an incredible amount of rain, lots of flooding in the area, and there were people who couldn't safely get to their cars. Well, the Department of Public Works sent people out, and they were ticketing people right and left, not because their cars posed a danger, but rather because, hey, they were illegally parked, people couldn't get to them safely, but we're going to give tickets. They wanted to raise revenue. They ended up having to rescind a lot of those tickets. Last weekend, when we had the snow, The parking checkers were out in full force writing tickets. And we've talked about this twice on the program before. I understand that you have to, that people have to move their cars so the plows can get through. I I get it. My point is that, you know, sometimes there's reasons why that can't happen. And and I think maybe a warning ticket or something like that would be in order. Because simply writing the ticket doesn't make people move the, the car. Write them a warning ticket, because a lot of times I think people, especially when you get these significant snowfalls, are genuinely confused about what are the parking regulations. Well, of course, that's not how the city of Milwaukee works. They're like, this is an opportunity for us to raise revenue. These are $40 tickets. They wrote over 12,000 tickets in a three-day period of time. And I can see Tom Barrett and some of the aldermen just rubbing their hands together, going, hey, this is our opportunity to stick it to some of those people who have to park on the streets. So, anyways, uh, apparently some of those tickets, well, they're going to have to rescind them. Story, and today's TMJ4 had this story. They wrote a bunch of tickets in uh, the River West area, and apparently um, what happened is signs telling people that they couldn't park on a particular side of the street, the signs were incorrectly put up. So you had all these people that were parked. The sign said you can't park here, but you really were allowed to park here. Well, I mean, the parking checkers, they don't stop that. They're just out there trying to write as many tickets as they can. Well, now it appears that there's at least some people in Riverwest who got multiple tickets who actually were legally allowed to park where they were parked, and they're going to have to write some of these off. My only point about all this is I understand you have to have the streets cleared so the snow plows can come through. I'm just saying that given all the other challenges of living in the city of Milwaukee, a crummy educational system, high crime, maybe you could figure out a way to do this. High property taxes. Maybe you could find a way to do this without necessarily being so incredibly punitive. Give people warning tickets. If they do it a second time and don't move their car all right, then you start towing cars. I don't have a problem with that. You got to clear the streets. But this wasn't I don't think this is about that. I think every time there is a snowfall, some people at the city say we want to get the streets cleared. Other people say, "Hey, this is a chance to make our budget nut because we can go out and we can start writing tickets right and left when we come back." Big story number 3, the Foxconn offers are out. Are people being treated fairly? Stick around, it's 12:45. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, I'm in the uh, Riverwest area. Um, uh, Over the weekend, my girlfriend gathered five tickets for parking. A couple of them were justified, but many weren't because of their ridiculous rules. Um, Yes, 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 here's another one. There's one street in Riverwest where um, at least 24 tickets are were written in the span of a couple days. Yeah, see, look, and, and that's my point. I understand, that, I understand that things have to be cleared and people need to follow rules, but if you don't think that Tom Barrett's folks are out there figuring this is also a way that we can raise money, well, just be careful to tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt. All right, Gru, you know what eminent domain is, right? Yes, you shake your head, yes, absolutely, yeah. Eminent domain is, of course, the idea that the government can take private property for the public good. Um, You need to expand a roadway, all right? So that means that you have to take a portion of somebody's front yard. You need a space to put in a school or something like that. That means that the government can take some private property. The rule, though, with eminent domain is you have to pay the fair market value of that property. And, you know, people can fight about what the fair market value is, but you have to compensate people for that taking. All right, so Foxconn going in in Mount Pleasant. They are going to be taking people's property. Um, Some of the property is farmland. Some of it is vacant land. Some of them are homes. They're going to be taking them. It is a done deal. Some people are saying, hey, this is going to be great. I'm going to get money. I can relocate. Other people are saying, well, I I don't want to go. Well, they're going to end up having to go. The question has been, though, what is the offer going to be? Yesterday, Mount Pleasant announced, this is the deal, that they are going to offer all homeowners 140% of the fair market value for their homes. So in other words, if your house is worth $100,000, you will get $140,000. In addition, there are also relocation. There's there's relocation assistance that's there. The amount of that kind of varies depending on whether it's a home or a farm or whatever. In addition, the owners of vacant land within the project are going to be offered $50,000 per acre. So if you've got a home, you get 140% of the fair market value. The way they're gonna determine this is the village is gonna come in, and property by property, they're gonna say, this is the fair market value of the home. If you don't agree, they say your fair market value of your home is 100,000, you say, no, 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 I think it's 150, well, you have a right to go out, get it appraised on your own, and then sit down and negotiate with the village about as to what the actual amount is. But assuming that you think it's fair, your house is worth $100,000, they will give you $140,000, and they're going to take the property. All right, 414. Now, the way this is being described by people who are like lawyers who are kind of experts in this field is this 40% bonus. It is really kind of unprecedented, because the law says all they have to do is give you the fair market value of your home. But they're saying we're going to give you fair market value plus 40 percent, and if it's vacant land, you're going to get $50,000 per acre, which is um, substantially. More than that property would have been worth two years ago. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand some people have issues with eminent domain, and and I have in certain contexts. I would agree with that. But the reality is this is going to happen. Foxconn is coming. The government is going to be taking people's property, but they're offering 140% of fair market value. Is that a fair deal? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be, under the circumstances, yeah. Given the scope of this project, to pay somebody a 40% bonus for the value of their homes, I think is more than fair. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1253. This is Big Story number 3. And this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256 Jeff Wagner WTMJ when are our hometown athletes competing in South Korea and what's the Wisconsin based medal count keep track of our Olympic Wisconsinites by heading to the Winter Olympics the Winter Games section of WTMJ.com yeah um, okay the whole concept of them in a domain and I understand that that is controversial is that sometimes private property rights get trumped by the public good. And that's what's going on with Foxconn. People's private property is being taken. But you are entitled to have to be compensated for that. The law says you get fair market value for your house. What they're doing in Mount Pleasant for Foxconn is they're saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you fair market value plus 40%. And I got to tell you, I, I think that that's... I think that that's more than fair. Here's one of our texts. I wish my house was in the Foxconn area. That's more than fair. All right. Now, here's the other side. Texter: Private property rights should be considered sacred. If it is important enough to kick someone out of their family home and invoke eminent domain, then the price should be double fair market value. How do you replace the home that your grandfather built with his own two hands? How do you replace the home where you raised your kids in? Okay. Well, all right. That's my guess is that's not the vast majority of the homes that they are are talking about. But, I mean, I, I, I get it. But double fair market value? I mean, really, at some point in time, you have to balance the competing needs that are out there. And, and I think what they've done here has been number one more than reasonable but number two it's been almost unprecedented because like i say typically when you have a a government taking when you have an eminent domain project project they they follow the law which says fair market value here it's not just fair market value it's fair market value plus 40 percent in addition you have the right to negotiate what the fair market value is. Like I say, if they come out and say, hey, we think your house is worth X, and you say, no, I think it's worth X plus 50,000, well, you you can go out, you can get your own appraisal of that, and then you can sit down and you can negotiate it. So there's a potential that you can get even more, and they are offering relocation bonuses. Now, I understand that there's some people who probably absolutely love the home. Look, I'm getting ready to move out of a house that I lived in for close to 30 years. I love the home, but I'm, I'm moving out of it, all right? Sometimes you just have to move on With your life, it's a house at the end of the day. And in this case, these are homes that are there um, that have to be gotten rid of to make way for what is this huge economic development. The question is, how do you treat people fairly? And I guess I hear fair market value plus 40 percent, and I think that's more than fair. When we come back, you've heard about the movie Snakes on a Plane. How about Hamsters on a Plane? Stick around. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1209. I'm Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Gilstadt, when you think of a prominent uh, department store uh, around here, what's the first one that comes to mind? Boston Store? Boston Store. Absolutely. Boston Store parent company is Bonton. Uh, Bonton, the company, founded in 1898. I mean, it, it, that's yeah. that's how far yeah. the company goes back. Founded in 1898, Um a dry. The guy who founded it was a guy named Max Grumbacher, and his father opened a one-room millinery and dry goods store. Bonton became one of the largest U.S. regional retail department stores. Um, Bonton, Yonkers, Boston Store, Carson Perry, Scott, Bergner's, that, that's all Bontan, yep, Boston Store. Do you know what their stock is trading at right this oh, moment? Oh, jeez. I don't even want to guess. It can't be good. a share. Oh, my goodness. $0.09 a share. My guess is that you and I could put together some (laughs) of our pocket change, you know, go out to the – we'll ruin this as well. Let's go out to our cars. Let's kind of look through the seats and find out how much. $0.09 a share. And there is a reason why it is trading at $0.09 a share, and that is because, well – People don't want to buy the thing, and and for everybody who says, "Oh, that's great, we can buy like uh you know a thousand shares of it." Well, it's a lot easier for you to go from zero from nine to zero than it is from you know, from yep. nine to, to fifty cents. Yep, yep. Nine cents a share. Here here's the the interesting story about this. Um, on Sunday, Boston, and I'm it's Bonton, but you know we think of it again as Boston store around here. So they they announced. they, They went into bankruptcy, Chapter 11, and there's a couple different kinds of bankruptcy. But Chapter 11, bankruptcy is where you ask the court to get rid of some of your debts and allow you to reorganize with the idea that you will stay a viable concern. Let us come out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Give us time to find a buyer. Here's how bad it is for Bonton slash Boston Store. Um, Their their market cap, their value right now is somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million, which might sound like a lot. Um, Their debts are over a billion dollars. Right now, creditors are owed over a billion dollars and the value of the company like I say the market capitalization is about 200 million. Um, so what they do is over the weekend they went into chapter 11 which says all right let us let us be able to avoid some of our debts let us be able to stall our creditors let's keep let us look for maybe a buyer somebody who will sell this so we can come out of this as a stronger company um, This is in the news because a number of the creditors, are stepping up and saying, no, no, no. Look, what they're saying is there's no chance, realistically, that this company can succeed. They're so far in debt, they're so far underwater that by giving them more time, by saying, okay, we're going to stall the debts, we're gonna allow you to try to keep operating, all they're gonna do is burn through any other money that they may have left leaving less or absolutely nothing to give to these creditors so you have the these creditors that are out there who're saying look just just stop the bleeding end the misery just let's start liquidating stuff right now because at least we'll get some money out of this. Whereas if you let them go and you let this drag on for another two months, you know, they'll any cash they have any resources they have, they're going to spend this and we, the creditors aren't going to get it. And there's one, um, it's like a hedge fund that, um, has about $223 million in Bonton notes. And again, that, that's keep in mind their overall debt is a billion dollars. Um, I think again, this 223 million is probably more than the whole company is worth right now. They're into the judge saying, look judge, you, you can't just let this go on. This is this is just unsuccessful. Sometimes companies can go into bankruptcy, they can come out with a plan, they can come out reorganized, they can be leaner, they can be meaner, maybe you can find a seller, you know and, and we can be taken care of. These creditors are arguing that this is just dead. This is just dead. This is, you know, it's tough for brick-and-mortar sales to begin with, and, you know, given how far they are in the hole, this. let's put this out of its misery. Um, let's shoot this particular horse that has broken its leg and let us at least get something out of this. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, in some respects, is almost unthinkable. Um Ever since I was a little kid, when we moved here to Milwaukee, I mean, when I when I think of department stores around here, Boston Store has always been the rock solid franchise. again, Boston Store is time. But I mean, whether it's you know when, when you look at successful shopping malls around the area um, or unsuccessful shopping malls, ultimately, whether it was Northridge or Boston Store or Bayshore or you know, um, you know all the other ones, um, Boss Southridge, Boston Store was that anchor store. Boston Store was the one that you always wanted because people were always going to be shopping at Boston Store. Other stores might come and go. Boston Store wasn't Sears, for example. Boston Store wasn't Kmart. You wanted a Boston Store. And now the parent company stock, nine cents a share, a billion dollars in debt two hundred plus million dollars in assets and the owners of Bonton Boston store want more time to try to figure out a way to save the company. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I take no pleasure in, in saying this because I, I know there's a lot of people that work for Boston stores around the area. You've got those corporate headquarters that are downtown. But the hard truth of this is I don't see how you salvage this company. And I guess if I was one of these creditors, and I was be, if I was owed money by the parent company of Boston Store, and the question was, do you allow this to go on for another couple months, blowing through any money you have, or do you just simply say, hey, th- th- this is over, you had a great run, but for whatever reason, the market has changed. I, I guess... I understand where the creditors are coming from. Okay, four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the end of Boston Store? And a year from now, will there still be Boston Stores as we know them? Or is this, this legacy, this company that goes back to 1898, this company that has been a huge mainstay in Wisconsin, and particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, is it over for them? And I guess, I I, again, I take no pride in saying this, and I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see how you come out of something like this. And whether, you know, they made errors, whether management made errors like, you know, the management of Sears and Kmart did, or whether this is just changing consumer tastes that make that traditional kind of department store model untenable, I I don't know. But when I look at these numbers – I just don't see him coming back from this. And and that's not anything to be proud of, but it is the reality. 414-799-1620. Is this the end of Boston Store? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I, I take no pleasure in this story, but, but Sunday night, the parent company of Boston Store, Bonton, went into bankruptcy. And the the numbers are starting to emerge, and it is about as bad as you can imagine. Um, They're saying this might be one of the top 20 retail bankruptcies, you know, in in U.S. history. The numbers are really, really bleak, and there's a number of creditors that are saying, look, they can't survive. There's no path out of this, and it's silly to allow them to keep operating. You should just simply offer um, you, the court you shouldn't allow them time to reorganize. You should just say we're going to liquidate right now because they're just burning through money. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Paul in Lake Geneva. Hi, Paul. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hello there, Jeff. What do you um, think? Well, oh, it's over. There's no question. I mean,
4: I think the stock will be delisted in the next couple months.
0: Well, if it lasts that long. I mean, it's down to $0.09 a share. I mean, you don't have too much farther to go. Yeah.
4: But I still wonder why history keeps repeating itself. I mean, this has happened many, many times. And why don't the creditors, why aren't they keeping better tabs on this sort of thing? Aren't you checking this investment well, uh, with a billion-dollar investment, yeah. uh, I would be checking it every day. Uh,
0: yeah, and, not and every it, hour. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and asking. How
2: does it get to this point?
0: Well, I uh, think it ends up being a spiral. Understood. No, thanks call, Paul. I mean, I think it ends up being a spiral. One of the reasons that that they're even able to stay in business is they have a number of their suppliers, the, these large unsecured creditors. Um, for example, Estee Lauder cosmetics. You know, Boston store sells cosmetics. And let I me mean, just pick on Boston store. It's Carson, Perry, Scotts, all these things. Um, you know, the cosmetics. So the the large unsecured creditors like Estee Lauder, um, Kerry Green Mountain, the coffee people, and Ralph Lauren. They apparently have been. Um, they apparently have been giving. They, they've been continuing to p- supply goods um, to. To these stores to allow them to continue stocking their shelves and pay employees during the bankruptcy. But again, that's, that's just kind of this spiral. That's just, and it ends up delaying the inevitable. And again, I, I it, it breaks, it's going to break my heart to see these stores get shuttered. It is. And to see people end up losing their jobs. But you look at these numbers and you say, how did it get like this? And unfortunately, this is the larger picture of how I, I think moving forward, stores that you thought were just permanent that we're going to be here forever how whether it's the internet or whether it's our changes in taste or things like that but how stuff that you never thought would go away is in fact going away doug and mcguanago doug you're on wtmj good afternoon Joe. hi doug
1: um i i think they're probably done but you can't listen to what a hedge fund who owns their debt says either because they don't want the full bankruptcy to go through because they could get their debt completely wiped out.
0: Right, yeah. Right. They money. want their dough, yep. So
1: their motivation is to get something. And probably this hedge fund, they did they're not into it for two hundred and twenty three million. They may have bought this debt for pennies on the dollar, maybe ten cents on the dollar, so they're only into it for $25, twenty five, fifty million. Mm-hmm. So if they can get a hundred million or fifty million back, they double their money. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand what their motivation is.
0: Oh, they sure, they want their, their money, the right?
1: Company. They they want well they want to make a profit on it so if they if driving the company into the ground makes them a profit well that's going to be their motivation uh, uh, but again for me I, there's I I haven't been into a Boston store in I don't know how long right. I mean there's no guy things there it's not like Farm and Fleet or what <laughs> yours used to be um, you know Boston store is not like Kmart Kmart should have disappeared years ago because it fills the same niche as
0: like Walmart? a target or a Walmart not sure. and not as well yeah
1: there's not as well so you know Sears, I think would have made it, but the problem is it got tied in with with Kmart and they both got drugged down by an incompetent CEO mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I my personal belief is they're probably done, but again the creditors, you got a question there you know so if they're coming in saying it's not going to make it we we want our money. Uh, don't go through bankruptcy to wipe us out. That's essentially what they're saying,
0: right? And I guess the question. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess the question is, and that's that's why you have Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, which is to allow you to take a pause and say, can we continue as a viable? operation i guess i'm that's what i really want to kind of get at with this topic though is because of the changing tastes if you have a billion dollars in debt and a, and a company with a market capitalization of 200 million and given where we are with shopping is there some sort of viable path to emerge and to continue to do business and i guess that's that is what i am struggling with and i, I take no pleasure in this karen and Lannon, karen you're on wtmj hello Hello,
3: okay. my son <laughs> works for um, Bonton Corporate, and it was
2: lousy run.
3: Lousy, lousy. Like what do you mean? Well, he he was a merchandising analyst, and everything, and it just kept building up worse and worse. And he said, "I got to get out of here before I'm gone." And that was more than a year ago.
0: It right.
2: just
3: run run real crappy. He's like this. I can't believe they're
0: still in business. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been through. I mean, they they've been through CEOs. Um, like some people change socks. Um, they they've had four CEO CEOs since 2012. <laughs> you know. So yeah. Uh, uh, you know that that kind of tells you that there's different stuff that's going on now. Thanks for I mean, I look and I and I feel bad about this whole thing. And you know, and I, I understand Boston Store is a a big part of. This area and you've got, I mean, Boston store is the anchor tenant on the uh, west side of Grand Avenue there. And you've got, you know, we had all these incentives that the city came up with to keep the Boston store corporate stuff here. And this this all ends up, you know, being a questionable thing. You know, if Boston store can come up with a plan or Bonton can come up with a plan, I think that's great. But I think you start to look at these numbers and you start to realize um th- those days of Boston Store being the flagship store in all these different malls and what does that mean? I- if in fact Boston Store can't come up with a viable plan to come out of bankruptcy, what does that do with all the space? I mean, what does that do with Boston Store as an anchor tenant at all the different shopping malls around the area? And how do you fill that? It's just it's not a good thing no matter how you cut it. When we come back, it's not snakes on a plane. It's not gerbils on a plane; it's hamsters on a plane. Stick around. One twenty-seven, Jeff Wagner. It's one thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, today's the NBA trading deadline. The Cleveland Cavaliers are just a hot mess. Um, any any team with LeBron James, who's arguably the best player in the on the planet when it comes to basketball. Should be doing well, and and they've just been struggling. They're under five hundred since January. I, they play a really good. I watched them play Minnesota yesterday. It was an overtime game. They won one hundred and forty to one hundred and thirty eight. James threw in this fall away jump shot with no time left in overtime. It was a very cool game. But Cleveland is in trouble, um, especially a, a team that's a perennial NBA championship competitor and they're really afraid that uh that lebron james is going to leave next year so um they made some moves today's the trade deadline uh Dwayne Wade, who I remember when he played at Marquette, I, I think might have been the best college basketball player I ever watched play in person he's been around for thirteen years he 's kind of at the end of his career. they dumped he was with Cleveland they dumped him, they traded him back to the Miami Heat where he he played for um, thirteen seasons, um, so I think it's a way of, for him to kind of finish his career in Miami. They also traded Isaiah Thomas who they got in a trade earlier this year when they got rid of Kyrie Irving, and that turned out to be a disastrous trade. So they traded um, Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye, Derek Rose, Jay Crowder, who played at Marquette, and um, Iman Shumpert for Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, George Hill, and Rodney Hood. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's uh, they're obviously they recognize they're in a lot of trouble and they're trying to remake their lineup, but generally these things typically don't work. So it could be the end of uh, that Cleveland dynasty. Dynasty. All right, here is the story. I want to share it with you, and then I, I want to discuss. We have talked in the past about emotional support animals. There is there, there's two laws. The Americans with Disabilities Act says that people have the right to have. Um, certain types of animals, particularly dogs and miniature horses, and you can't discriminate against them for, for that. You know, you've got the, the, the dogs that are specifically trained. Then there is a provision of federal law that relates to airlines, which is broader and allows people, um, with the permission of the airlines to bring on well, emotional support animals. So here's the story. Here's the headline: Spirit Airlines. grew you ever flown Spirit Airlines? No, it, it, it's kind of like the trailways, the greyhound of the sky, you know, but it, that, that's it. it, it is the ultimate. It is the ultimate in like budget airlines. Okay, <clears throat> this is the headline: Spirit Airlines employee told student to flush emotional support hamster down the toilet. Student alleges. Okay, I admit that headline caught my attention. Let me read you the story. A college student said she flushed her emotional support hamster down the toilet after Spirit Airlines refused to let her bring her furry pet on the plane. Belen Adelcosa, 21, of Miami Beach, Florida, told the Miami Herald that she contacted Spirit Airlines before her flight from Baltimore to South Florida on November 21, 2017, regarding traveling with her hamster Pebbles. She claimed the airline told her it was not a problem to bring her hamster on the flight. However, when the student arrived at the airport, she said the airline refused to let pebbles on the plane. No hamsters on this plane. She said she did not have many options since her family was in Florida and her friends were hours away. She says a spirit employee suggested she either flush pebbles down the toilet or let the animal free. She skipped her flight and tried to rent a car instead, but she was too young to rent one. So she did what she felt was the most humane choice. She was scared. She being Pebbles was scared. I was scared. It It was horrifying trying to put her in the toilet. I was emotional. I was crying. I sat there for a good 10 minutes crying in the stall. Huh. I wouldn't want to be standing in line waiting to use that stall. All right. The student said she considered letting Pebbles run free outside, but could not bear thinking of her hamster freezing to death or getting hit. I didn't have any options, she said. Pigs, ducks, peacocks. This is the story. There's no limit to what passengers have used to support animals. Spirit Airlines spokesperson tells Fox News that an employee misinformed her that Pebbles was allowed on the flight, but denied that an employee suggested she flushed the rodent down the toilet. After researching this incident, we can confidently say at no point did any of our agents suggest that this guest, or any other for that matter, should flush or otherwise injure an animal. It is incredibly disheartening to hear this guest reportedly, that the, she reportedly decided to end her own pet's life. The Miami Herald noted that U.S. Transportation Safety Administration was fine with hamsters on the flight, but airlines allowed, if they don't want, they can choose if they don't want rodents on board. Uh, Let's see. She said that she brought Pebbles along for company. My hamster was loving. It was like she knew I needed somebody. She now attends Texas State University. She's considering suing Spirit due to the airline pressuring her into making an anguish decision with a pet certified by her doctor as an emotional support animal. All right. 414 799 1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage talk and text line. Spirit Airlines refused to allow this lady to bring a hamster onto the plane. She then says, I had no choice. I ended up flushing the, the hamster down the toilet because I, I couldn't go back. I couldn't go to my family. What was I going to do with, with pebbles? All four seven nine nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I mean, spirit for its part says, we didn't tell her to kill the animal. We did. Once she got to the airport, though, we told her she couldn't bring the hamster onto the plane. If somebody told her beforehand, before she got there, that was okay, they were wrong. But we told her before she got on the plane that she couldn't bring the hamster on the plane. I want to talk about the larger picture here. Was Spirit right in refusing to let her get on the plane with her quote-unquote emotional support hamster? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I mean, I, I do, I want to talk about the larger picture here. Imagine, and that's why I asked my friend Belinda Babinick about this, um, the, the larger picture. Imagine you're sitting on the plane. Okay, you're in seat, you know, 4D. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in, plops down in seat 4C, opens up her purse, and out pops Pebbles, the rodent. I mean, how, how are you going to feel about that? You know, was Spirit wrong in not letting her get on the plane with the hamster? Four one four Let's start with Katie in Burlington. Katie, you're first. Hello. Hello. Hi, um,
5: I think that girl needs a lot more than a hamster.
0: <laughs> you mean a lot more help than that?
5: Psychological. Look, I have a tortoise, a pet tortoise. I love her to death. She, she interacts. She's great. She's not a support animal. There's no way she can be. And I could probably sneak her on a plane and no one would know any better. i never do that. I wouldn't do it for the sake of her. I mean, I honestly wonder if there was an employee who even told her that that was okay when she called. And if you're so concerned, you get documentation that an airline, in fact, will allow it. But suffice it to say, she made a choice. And I just, I can't believe in a million years you could get a certification to have a hamster to oh. be a support animal what bothers
0: me the most oh no is katie there. you can't because what happens is there's all these doctor feel goods that are out there on the internet you know you, you send them 112 and you know to some guy in arizona and he'll send you a letter saying you know you you need this emotional you need this hamster you know so you mm-hmm. can calm yourself when you fly or something
5: <laughs> i think she should be ashamed of herself because there are true vets and other people suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder anxiety disorders manic depressive disorders that truly utilizes animals. My son has autism. There's many people in the autistic community that use actual valid support animals. People have epilepsy. And this just bothers me to the core that these people have mm-hmm. really ruined the whole sentiment for these people who truly need it.
0: Well, yeah. And let me just you know, and, and just bootstrapping on this, Katie, th- this lady, if she really did have this connection to this hamster, I mean, this was just some bond she felt like towards this hamster, like I feel towards my my dog. I mean, who I, I don't I, I she she flushed the hamster. I mean, seriously. Oh, I, know. I mean, I, st- I, instead of yeah, getting I on mean, the airplane, just, right? Right, I mean,
5: a true disturbance that I think she should seek a doctor support versus a hamster.
0: <laughs> no, thanks. I mean, seriously, I mean if, if you if if you think I'm being heartless about this, no, Jeff, you don't understand, people can have the same emotional connection to their Python or their their hamster or their peacock that you have towards your your domesticated pet. Um, well, then, all right, then I'm telling you if if my choice was you get on the flight or you kill your pet I, I'm not getting on that flight okay i'm I'm going back home I'm staying at the airport till I make arrangements for somebody to come and pick up the dog or whatever I'm not going to kill the animal and and that again. 414-799-1620. Is, is spirit the bad guy here? Are are they being unreasonable in not allowing this woman to get on an airplane with a, a hamster that she says is her emotional support animal? 414-799-1620. And it would bother you if you're sitting on that flight from Baltimore to South Florida if all of a sudden the lady pulls this rodent out of her purse because she's nervous and starts petting the rodent. I got to tell you. It would freak me out. We continue the conversation. It's 146. This is Jeff Wagner. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The, the more you find out about this woman's story, the more bizarre it, it gets. She went to high school in Miami Beach, um, played volleyball at Barry University before transferring to somewhere in Pennsylvania last year. It was during her first lonely semester that she developed a painful golf ball-sized growth in her neck leading to a cancer scare she didn't have cancer but she got got nervous frazzled that fall she decided she needed a distraction um at a pennsylvania petco she bought her hamster pebbles the hamster lived in her dorm room in a small plastic cage with a green spinning wheel always scurrying to the front of the cage to greet her owner she was so loving it's like she knows i needed somebody Um, In November, she learned that the growth was benign, withdrawing from school and going home, hoping to have it removed. She booked a spirit flight, etc., but they wouldn't allow her to take the hamster. Now, at first... Spirit representative did say that it was fine to take the hamster, um, but then once she got to the airline, the airport, they said, hey, we're sorry, she was misinformed. We do not allow hamsters, we don't allow rodents to fly as emotional support animals. That, by the way, is consistent. With um, the way other airlines handle these cases because they are concerned number one it's going to freak out other passengers and number two they're they're concerned with things like disease because again, you know you know you don't know where that hamster has been. She says spirit Airlines are the bad guys because of all this. The truth of the matter is that when it comes to putting animals in the cabin, It's one thing if you are talking about a domesticated pet, a dog or a cat. All right. A hamster is not a domesticated pet. A a, um, six foot long peacock is not a domesticated pet. A duck is not a domesticated pet. A snake is not a domesticated pet. I mean, the bottom line of all this is I think the airline is absolutely right. Kylan Wauwatosa says, I'm willing to bet she valued keeping her friends more than the life of her supposedly beloved pet. Upon killing the animal, she, rather than taking responsibility for her horrible decision, tried to push responsibility onto the hands of the airline's. As a side note, I don't want to be dating this gal when she decides to dump me. I mean, just, this is just the, the bottom line of all this. Feel bad for the lady, um, but this is not Spirit Airlines' fault. And I will tell you for the life of me that this idea that, well, Spirit Airlines made me kill my pet. No, you're the one that decided to do this. Bottom line is, like I say, if, if I'm told I can fly with my dog, I get to the airport, they said, I'm sorry, you can't get the dog on the plane. We misinformed you. I, I'm making arrangements for my dog. I'm not just letting the dog go free. That's the thing with having a relationship with a true pet as opposed to a hamster that you like. She killed the hamster, and she's blaming spirit. Give me a break. 152 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, if you live in Wisconsin, you might about be ready to get some money back, regardless of whether you have kids or not. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 152. Fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, WPMJ, coming up in less than 10 minutes. Why shouldn't they be allowed to bring guns to work sites? We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, A couple weeks ago, Governor Walker came out with a proposal. We, as a result of the growth in the state economy and fiscal responsibility over the last couple years, we now have a budget surplus. So, one of the governor's ideas was, and this is something that's alien to a lot of people in government, gee, let's return some of this surplus to the people we got it from, namely the taxpayers. So the governor had come out and he had proposed essentially a, a permanent child care rebate to, you know, people. The idea being, okay, if you've got dependent children, you know, under the age of 18, we're gonna, we're gonna give you $100 per kid. I thought that was a good idea. Some people started screaming, though, saying, "Well, what what about the people that don't have kids? You know, they don't end up benefiting from that." And and I guess that's true. But you're talking to somebody who doesn't have children, who's paid property taxes to support a school system that I've never used. You know, in my adult life, you know, um, at least my children haven't used it since I don't have children. I. But I mean, I understand it's for the good of the community. And my general idea was, even though I wouldn't have benefited directly from this, if it puts more money. If it takes money that has been taken from the taxpayers and puts it back into the community, um, those taxpayers are going to spend it. It's going to stimulate the economy. It's going to be good all around. But some people were saying, well, no, it, it just picks out the people with kids. Why do we just give a benefit from them? So it appears that the legislature is close to striking a deal. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Wisconsin would give parents a $100 per child tax rebate. All right. So there's still going to be a tax rebate for people with kids. It's going to be for this year only. So it's not going to be permanent. But then what we would do, what the state would do, would be to pair this with a weekend sales tax holiday for all consumers. Um, the sales tax holiday would essentially... Um, would be uh, the first weekend in August. So it is tied around like back-to-school stuff, and it would cover the cost of all goods under a $100. So you you couldn't go and buy some big-ticket item. You know, I'm going to buy the $2,000 TV, and I'm going to get out from under the sales tax. But, you know, for the smaller ticket items, one weekend only, you know, we're going to give you a sales tax holiday. That would, of course, spur spending, and, again, help stimulate the economy, and it would be something that benefits people from across the board. Uh, the state legislature, Robert Voss and the Assembly, is on board with this. Scott Fitzgerald says, well, I i don't know about the sales tax holiday. I'm on board with the other stuff. I, I think, again, this is one of these great ideas. Democrats are screaming, this is vote buying, this is terrible, you know, it's an election year gimmick. Hey, hey, look, anything that gives taxpayers who have overpaid their taxes, some money back to spend is a good thing. People spending money on goods and services is a good thing for Wisconsin's economy, and I think this is a good idea. Just saying. All right, when we come back, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Why shouldn't you be able to bring guns to job sites? TosaFest makes some major changes, and the guy's a wife-beater. Of course he should go. Stick around. It's 2-8. This is Jeff Wack, WTMJ. Over the last couple months, there has been a controversy in the city of Milwaukee, particularly with one of the the subcontractors who've had problems. It's particularly American Sewer Services, and they've been a contractor in Milwaukee for, for years and years. And they've had a problem, I guess, with some of their employees who have been bringing firearms onto job sites in the city of Milwaukee. And you remember this story. There was a a posting on social media about somebody that had, you know, there was a couple of these employees that had guns on their hips. They took a picture of it, and you had all these different aldermen that were outraged. Then after the outrage, you had a... Um, You know, one of the employees that put like a Confederate flag sticker or something like that on their lunchbox, I I think probably as much to sort of in response to the outrage that was there. But this just got the alderman in Milwaukee all the more worked up. And there was a story, well, um, about a week or so, maybe a week and a half ago, another worker with American Sewer Services was fired after being caught carrying a gun at a city of Milwaukee job site. Members of the Common Council, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reported, members of the Common Council received an email about the incident a couple weeks ago, less than two weeks after all this other stuff, um, the troubled company, and it says troubled company because some of these aldermen are upset with them are saying that they're going to pull certain contracts after these employees you know, showed up. A couple of the aldermen are very, very upset over this thing. The owner of the company says, hey, hey look. Um, you know, we s- understand that this particular handgun was found during an inspection by the city's Department of Public Works. We fired the employee who was carrying the gun. The owner says, despite making it very clear to our employees that gun possession would not be tolerated, it's unfortunate that we continue to have some individuals who violate our policies. Um, we have a policy in place right now that addresses these incidents and says that, you know, if If somebody brings a gun onto one of these job sites, they are, in fact, going to be fired. Um, And American Sewer Services is saying, you know, we understand that we're getting bad press about this. We understand that the Common Council is upset. And so as a result, we'll pull back our bid on this job or that job or, or the other. All right. The city of Milwaukee has a right I guess to have whatever policy it works, it wants with regard to its employees and with regard to its subcontractors. And the subcontractors have an obligation to follow the city's policy. I mean, for example, if I hire a painting contractor and I say, I don't want any of you guys smoking in my house when you're painting the house, and I come home and I find that somebody is smoking, I have every right to go to that painting contractor, I think, and say, all right, you guys are fired. You violated our agreement. I asked you not to smoke, and there's people that are smoking. And the painting contractor has every right to say, we told you to go to the it's, it's painters and say, hey, we told you you can't smoke in these people's houses. You were smoking. You're fired. So, I mean, I think the employer, or in this case the city of Milwaukee, has a right to have that policy. The employer, The, uh, the contractor who agrees to do a job, Laying sewer lines or whatever has an obligation to follow that, so I, I mean, I get where there is that level of controversy you 've got a policy in place don 't bring guns onto the work site fine to me though, putting aside the the mock outrage over this, oh, this is terrible you 've got these contractors, these subcontractors, these employees, many of whom live outside the city are bringing guns we 're offended What does this think of What does it say about the city of Milwaukee? Regardless of their right to have the policy, what I want to talk about in this segment is whether or not this policy is the right thing to do. For example, I mean, is it is it unreasonable to say to these different contractors who are in many cases working in high crime areas of the city, where in many cases you have some of these subcontractors who have – I don't know, expensive tools that they keep in their cars that they have to drive into high crime areas. The city is the city right in telling people that they can't bring guns to their work sites. I mean, I guess that's it. Do they have a right to do it? Yes, they do. And I understand some of these aldermen are upset, and they're taking it out on this one particular company because the company has employees who, despite whatever the company's policy are, is continue to bring guns onto the job sites, and the employees are wrong. I get it. They deserve to be terminated because they're violating the policy. But big picture, big picture, should the city of Milwaukee be telling these subcontractors that their employees can't bring guns to the work sites? I mean, if you've got people that feel that they're, I don't know, they might be robbed or their vehicles might be robbed or they might be in danger of being robbed, is there anything wrong with them wanting to protect themselves? Now, obviously, if one of these subcontractors um, is carrying a firearm and engages in a shooting or something like that, and I don't remember those stories, but if they engage in a shooting or something like that, well, obviously, you know, they're going to be held accountable. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know if I'm sitting there and I've got $10,000 worth of tools in my vehicle and I'm afraid that I'm going into this area where I may well be carjacked or robbed and I want to defend myself. I don't know. Shouldn't the employees have the right to do that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, this discussion isn't can the city set its rules? The city has the right to set its rules. The discussion is. Is this the right rule to have? And if a contractor or subcontractor wants to be able to protect themselves on the mean streets of Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, why should the city of Milwaukee be telling them that they can't? 414-799-1620. Should these contractors, subcontractors, these employees if they feel the need, and as long as they're legally carrying firearms. I mean, obviously, if you're a felon, you can't carry a gun. You know, if you're carrying it in a concealed fashion, you need a permit to do it. But should you be able to legally carry a firearm? Let's start with Mike in Sheboygan. Mike, you're first. Hello.
2: Hi, how are you? Very um, well, thank so, you. So, yeah, I think as long as, the, you know, the people have a concealed carry license to do it and they lose the racial stickers off their, their coolers. Right,
0: an and, that, and that guy right. was out, of right, I mean, that... Yeah. Right. right. I mean, clearly that guy, I don't know why he was doing that right. he was trying to make a point or whatever. But, yeah, I'd fire him if I was the boss, too. Yep.
2: As long as the company knows that they're doing it and they're, you know, I, I guess they would have the same right as anybody else. that have have a concealed carry um, walking around the city, you know, as far as they're as far as they can have it legally. Um, I think it's OK. But now you're you're. Uh, Screener just told me that I guess the company doesn't want to do it, so I guess that changes my answer a little bit. But <laughs> well, well, no,
0: but I mean, I think part of the reason the company doesn't want them to do it is because the the city so is upset bad. and the city is yeah, threatening yeah. to pull the contracts. No, thanks. To, I mean, no, I mean, I think I mean I, I I don't know if the company had a policy before this or not. The company is responding to the fact that they're losing these contracts because people are violating the city's rules. Um, but but right, I mean, obviously, an employer has a right to set policy as well. We have a rule here that you can't bring firearms into the building. All right, that that's fine. Somebody brings a firearm into this building, I think that they have every right to, you know, be be subject to whatever sort of discipline, you know, the company has because it's the rules. But as far as the ability of people to protect themselves on the mean streets of Milwaukee, I don't see this as a problem. And and this is one where aldermen are concerned about perception. Gee, how does it look? I'm concerned about the reality of people getting carjacked and robbed. And attacked on a regular basis. 414-799-1620 Mike in Oak Creek. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well,
6: I'm. I worked for a delivery company for years, thirty years. And as an employee of that company, when I was hired, they had a no. You know, you couldn't carry firearms. You mm-hmm. couldn't carry pepper spray. Um, post office. I know the same way. They, you, when you're hired and you have a job. Uh, you know that you know. it's my responsibility going to this neighborhood to deliver. Um, it's we deliver in Milwaukee every address in the city of Milwaukee. Some addresses aren't pleasant. Some neighborhoods aren't pleasant. But as an employee, you go in and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, post office. I mean, they're not allowed to carry firearms, and they deliver to every address in the city. I mean, I just don't think that it's um, uh, the, the subcontractors are bidding on these contracts. They don't. They're servicing Milwaukee.
0: All areas of all, all areas of Milwaukee. Um I, I, so and I, and I, and see, and I, I guess I, I'm with you to a point, Mike. Yeah, I, and I, I think an employer has the right to set rules, and, and right, I get that. I and, and, and so that that's that's to me not the issue. But I think the broader issue, though, is is this a correct rule? Um, you know, should an employee should an employee you know, who's going to a high-crime area be allowed to carry a gun? I mean, I've made this point with delivery drivers. I mean, I I think, you know, these delivery drivers were sent out in the middle of the night delivering pizzas in high-crime areas or chicken or whatever. I mean, shouldn't they be allowed to carry firearms? They shouldn't or they should? Should, My question to you was, should they be allowed to? I don't don't believe so. Okay, tell me why.
6: Well, I just don't think that... I mean, then you run into a whole other scenario. I mean, of people who um i mean you do background checks on people but you never know <laughs> people are popping people and yeah. um the liability falls onto the company the employer then i mean i think the liability falls on if, if uh, a pizza delivery driver is in a situation and he ends up shooting and killing an innocent person that's going to fall on not only on that person i would think but that would fall on the company
0: well i mean, I mean thanks so. i mean that that is i guess that that's that's one of the concerns that you have if somebody's going to behave in an irresponsible fashion with it the flip side though is let's take my pizza delivery example i mean if if you're if you're sending some you know 23 year old person out into this high crime area um the word is out that they're not allowed to defend themselves. They don't have firearms. Are you setting themselves up? And then do you have a liability? Do you have a responsibility to them if, if something bad happens? Bill in Watertown. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
7: Good. Hey, how, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good. What do you think? Well, I actually work for um, a competitor of American Sewers. Mm-hmm. I've worked, um, done these contracts, these sewer and water contracts, you know, most of my life in the city of Milwaukee and in other cities. Um and uh, I guess my comment is I-, I think we should be allowed to carry and defend ourselves just like any other person. Um, just this past summer, um, we were working on a Friday, City, in Milwaukee. We got, out, got down a little bit early, about 2.30. About 10 minutes later, I uh, got a call that uh, the guy, one of the guys I was working with left the job and was carjacked in the middle of uh intersection at 43rd and uh, Capitol, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he had no weapon on him or anything. So obviously they took what they wanted and damaged his vehicle and, um, you know, make the police report, the whole thing. Um, but that's just one story I hear from other guys that I work with all the time. And I have other stories that, you know, we, we do these, these, these jobs in particularly usually the, the, you know, lower income parts of Milwaukee. And it, it, why shouldn't I be able to defend myself, you know, just like anybody, anybody else?
0: Yeah, and I guess I mean
7: th- I, I, I don't carry one. My wife wants me to, but I don't. But doesn't mean you know I shouldn't have the right, to. Um,
0: th- thanks for calling. Well, I guess that's I, one of the things that frustrates me a lot is, is that this mock outrage that's there. You have aldermen in the city of Milwaukee who are concerned. Gee, what is the perception? Gee, some people might think that this is a dangerous community if people feel the need to carry guns on the job sites. Well, there's a reason why people feel the need to carry guns onto job sites. And by the way, I wouldn't just limit this to subcontractors. I mean, I think that there's, again, with appropriate training, several of the, I don't know, city employees that are put in dangerous spots all the time, the city's answer is, hey, we'll give you a cell phone, keep it charged and be ready to run fast. I'm not sure that's the best approach, either. 221, this is Jeff Wagner. It's 224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Rob Porter is a name that many of you might not be familiar with. Rob Porter was a very very prominent White House aide um, he was a staff secretary for the president not a public figure but very very important he, he also um, John Kelly the chief of staff Porter worked very very closely with um, with John Kelly and Porter got a lot of credit recently for helping make the Trump White House run a little less chaotically. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Um, Very, very important. He'd frequently traveled with the president on Air Force One. He helped write uh, the first State of the Union address last month, a speech which was, I think, universally well-received. He's he's now out, because what happened is he's apparently been married twice before, and both of those marriages ended in divorce. And both of the former wives have accused him of physical abuse when they were married to him. Um, One of the ex-wives has come forward with this picture where she's got this big black eye. And her story is that that he punched her and he did this. One of the other wives said that, you know, when they were breaking up, he was kicking in doors of their house and things like this. He was widely regarded as a rising star, only 40 years old, a Harvard graduate, a Rhodes Scholar, former Senate A. Um, but at the same time, the, these allegations of spousal abuse, which he denies, um, they're out there and they're kind of compelling. Apparently, it's been out there for a while. And what's happened is it was tying up his FBI clearance. He doesn't have, he hasn't been able to get the type of FBI clearance that you typically need for the job he has because it's hung up and hung up because of these, you know, allegations of domestic abuse. And now the women have gone public. Um, Some people think Rob Porter is a victim. I, I will tell you this. I just, this is one where I don't understand how you could have appointed him in the first place because as near as I can tell, these allegations had been out there for quite a while. This is not this is not a surprise. Um, now, the fact that the ex-wives have chosen to go public and the pictures are out there, including the woman with the big with a big black eye and things like that, that that that's that might not have been publicly in the forefront, but there were police reports involving several of these incidents. This is something that's been out there for a while, and I guess candidly, might be an outstanding guy, might be great at doing his job. But it also appears that he's a wife beater. And I just do not, for the life of me, understand how a White House can go ahead and can put somebody like this in this kind of job, knowing that this whole thing is going to come out. And to me, again, it demonstrates this sort of tone deafness that maybe we've seen in public officials on both the left and the right. But um, Rob Porter resigning yesterday, and I, I think it's a good thing. My big question was, how did he get there in the first place with this stuff that wasn't a secret out there, just saying. It is two twenty-seven. I want to talk about some big changes in Wauwatosa for a big summer event, and why did this happen, and will it work? Stick around. It's two twenty-seven. That's coming up next. This is Jeff Wagner. Uh, two thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Every once in a while, there's things that happen that make me appreciate that the job I've had for all these years, and the. Um, the, the support and the way management handles stuff. Um, I, I've been here at WTMJ for this is the 20th season of the program. Um, and before that, worked up to dial part time for a couple of years as well. So, like 23 years full or part time. In all those 23 years, I have never, ever had a program director, a general manager, a vice president, or anybody who has come to me and said, Jeff, this is what I want you to say or not say on the radio. And it just and it's always been, I and and I understand that sometimes I have probably said things involving I don't know potential advertisers or whatever or that, that have caused some heartache for people in sales or in management or whatever. But nobody has ever ever said, you know. Do, do something different or this is going to cause us some heat or somebody's going to get upset over this. It's always been do your show. You know, do, do what you want to do. Talk about the things that you think are important to you and that you think are going to be interesting to the audience. Do your, your show. Um, that, that whole thing really kind of came to the fore during the, the presidential campaign in 2016 because Donald Trump was not my first choice. And and I think for a lot of people who do what I do for a living, Charlie Sykes, you know, other people, Donald Trump was not our first choice. There were other Republican candidates that we supported. And during the election, really conservative talk radio split in one of two ways. There were there were people who took the position that, well, he's the Republican candidate, so we we have to you know, we got to get behind him. There were others of us who were skeptical of some of the things. And since he's gotten elected, there's really, again, been a split in in talk radio coverage. Some people essentially recognizing that there's some people out there who don't believe that President Trump can do anything wrong, who continue to defend, okay, this is great, that is great, um, and, and just don't look... At the some of the warts. There are other people out there who are just the absolute Trump haters. Oh, this is just absolutely terrible. This is awful. Um, You know, he he can't do anything right. I have tried to take the principled position. And I understand I get heat from both sides on, on this. And that is when the president does something that I agree with. I will give him all the credit in the world. And whether it's the appointment of the Supreme Court, I think he's finally starting to get it right on immigration. I think, you know, the economy and the absence of regulations and tax cuts and tax reform, I I think this is all great. And I want to give him props. On the other hand, when he does stuff that I think gets off message or is distracting or is bad for the country or whatever, I'm going to say that, too. So when you tune into this program, you're going to get my honest analysis of this. And it irritates some people on the right who don't believe the president can do anything wrong, who say, oh, you're not a conservative. Go work for MSNBC. And then, you know, when I am critical, when I am um, supportive, I hear from other people, oh, I can't believe that you're supporting this guy, oh, blah, 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 blah. And all I can do is give you an honest and, and clear analysis of how I end up feeling on stuff. I, I bring this up because... um Jerry Bader, who has been on this program from time to time, um, long-standing conservative radio talk show host out of um, actually Green Bay, but he's kind of, he's, got a, he's got a couple other stations throughout the state. Um, they let him go today, and you know he's got an email out saying it was made clear to me that the reason that I was being let go was the manner in which I covered President Trump. Um, you know he and. Uh, Jerry Bader, uh, together with a lot of us, were some of the people who were not – again, we're trying to call it as we we saw it. I think he might have been a little more critical of the president than I've been, but I've been critical when I thought it was appropriate. He says, I've always tried to tell what I believed is the truth, and more recently to comport my behavior on and off the air with my Christ-following faith after I was saved in 2016. I've always known it was my employer's microphone that I used each day. I have no regrets on how I've handled the show the past two and a half years. But he's saying he's let go because he was critical of President Trump. And I guess my only comment it would be we, we all work at the pleasure of our, of our bosses and all I just I've always appreciated having the freedom to tell you what I think good or bad and not have people say well you better pull back on that because you know you're going to upset someone um, it's nice to be able to have the freedom to just tell people what you think and let the chips fall where they may coming up next we're going to be talking about Tosa Fest stick around it's 240 this is Jeff Wagner <laughs> 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It also goes without saying that Jerry Bader is a really good guy, and I hope he has an opportunity to continue his program if he chooses to do that um, somewhere. All right. I hope he gets a chance to continue like all, all of us in calling them as we see them. All right. TOSA Fest, um, which is, of course, TOSA Fest is a big deal. It's actually a very, very fun event. Um, TOSA Fest. Created in 1975 as a way of trying to promote the community, um, bringing people to downtown, you know, Wauwatosa, it is essentially sustained, essentially from from sponsors, you know, who put up money to to do that. Um, over the course of the last year or two, Tosafest has suffered major financial losses because of, um, in one case, there's apparently a grease spill on the downtown street that they had to pay for. Um, also, they had uh, damage to their electrical commitment uh, equipment that they had to replace. Um, it costs about an estimated $100,000 to put on, and they do it in downtown. At least that's where it's been historically. What they, they've announced is they say, you know, we've decided that doing it downtown just no longer makes economic sense. There's, there's just all these problems that we have logistically. So what they're doing is they're moving it, oh, about six or seven blocks away. They're moving it to the east, to Hart Park. Which is outside of downtown. What they estimate is by doing this, they're going to be able to save somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. Um, they think it's also going to be easier for parents to watch kids and stuff. They're going to be able to offer increased parking um and they're going to maybe they're going to have more room so maybe they can increase the number of um art vendors, family activities as well. They're saying, "Hey, you know, we love doing this downtown, but we think by moving this, it's going to be good." All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. You know, again, for the longest time. First of all, these volunteer-driven organizations And there's so many of them in our community, whether it's the church festivals or the Tosa fests or whatever. They all are, are so very sensitive on so many levels. And by that, I mean they're economically sensitive. What can happen is you can have, you can have the best planning. You can have the greatest event and then you get three days of rain, for example, or cold temperatures and nobody comes. Right, that's the the problem. You're always going to be held hostage in a way by the the weather. There's also all these other extraneous factors that go on as well. Um, you know, you look at some of the different things. The, you know, the, the the Greek Annunciation Church used to have what we would call you know Greek fest. They used to have it on their church grounds, but the problem is it actually became too successful. You had too many people that were coming and some of them were there to cause a little bit of trouble and there was alcohol involved and, you know, there were people at odds with the community. Now they move it to State Fair Park where it's a wonderful festival, but it doesn't have the same character, I think, that you could say when it was located on the church grounds. So here you've got the organizers of Tosa Fest who are taking a step back and saying, look, we've been doing this downtown for all these years, but for a variety of reasons, we think we have to move it to the park. Okay, that nine one six twenty. That is the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text line. As someone who has gone to Tosa Fest not every year, but but a lot of years, you know, over the last uh, you know couple decades or so, I think it is a very well run operation, and I also I also think candidly that this move to Hart Park down the way. I think that this is going to be absolutely fine. Matter of fact, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't do it a couple of years ago. I think this is going to really be what the future of Wawatosa Fest is. But I know that there's probably some of you out there who've gone over the years, All right, moving it away from downtown to the park, does that change the character of this? Is this going to be a bad move, or is this something that actually is going to help TosaFest survive for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, again, I look at this, it ends up making a lot of sense. And I will remember the last couple times that I went to TosaFest, I have to say that, you know, parking was kind of an issue. It was sort of hard to get in. And this, I think, is going to make it a lot easier – And you're going to do it without dramatically changing the character of the event. Just because you've always done it in one place doesn't mean that you always have to do it moving forward. And I think Tosa Fest is going to be just great. And I think this is going to be a great move. Some people being critical of it. Oh, it's too bad. Some people, you know, wanting to see the tradition maintained. Sometimes you have to change these things in order to make sure they continue to grow and thrive and survive. And this is one of those examples. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to talk TosaFest and an update on one of the most senseless crimes in this area in a long time. Stick around. It's 248 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 251 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mark in Wauwatosa. Hi, Mark. Hi, how you doing? Good. Okay, TosaFest moving from downtown to Hart Park, six blocks away. It's the end of an era, but I think it's a pretty good move for them.
4: It's a no-brainer. Um, you know, instead of having bands play on, this little, on a trailer that they wheel down there, they actually have a really beautiful stage. Right. Um, they use that area every Wednesday night, most Wednesday nights, summertime anyhow, and very, very successful. Lots of parking, um, a place for the kids to play. I mean, I don't know why they didn't do it years ago. I agree with you. Uh, I, I think it's a
0: no-brainer. Yeah, no. Thanks to call. It gives them more room. It gives them room to spread out. You're right. You've got that stage, and and I mean, you still have downtown Wawatosa Now, if I was running, if I was one of the restaurant operators or bar operator in downtown Tosa. well, what I would do is, or along that, that whole route there, I'd have specials built around Tosa Fest to encourage people to stop into my place while they're going down to Hart park so, the park, so there's this great opportunity. But getting it out of the downtown area, and I also get the sense that some businesses viewed it as a nuisance anyways, I just think people are going to absolutely love it, plus it's going to make it easier to park, and let's face it, that's kind of the key. Dan, who is calling us from Michigan, Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: I'll make it brief. Uh, I just uh, think that it's a good idea to have more space and to, and hopefully to make more visible, and they can keep an eye on the things that might come into the into the festival that might be deterrent to good, mm-hmm. uh, to a good good social event, community event. And I hope they keep going with this. Hope they have hope this works. Uh, they keep spinning the wheel on doing different things, but it's just too bad that they have to wreck it for other people that. Uh, they've been trying to keep this thing going and flowing along, and they keep having to juggle things around and try to find new ideas to make a right. make the community thing of go. Did they have old. to
0: put? Didn't they have to put? This is the place that uh, they had to put up a fence a couple years ago, right? Because they were have they had yeah, underage correct. people that were coming in, yeah. They right.
4: had security things around their arms. They had all this stuff going on. Well, for drinking, that's one of the, you know, if there's any kind of things going like that going on. But I'm just talking about they had security things. So people uh, that are not part of the
0: festival can right.
4: just wander in and, and disrupt it and cause right. trouble.
0: No, exactly. And that, 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 unfortunately, is one of the things that you have to have. I just I have so much respect For the different community org, and and a lot of this this is volunteer driven. And you can say this about the ethnic festivals at the lakefront. You can say it again about the people who run the different church festivals. Anybody who says there's nothing to do in Wisconsin, you know, isn't paying attention to Wisconsin in the summer, where if anything, on any given weekend, you've got too much stuff that's going on and too many different choices. And one of the things that I think really makes such a difference when it comes to the character of of this this community is these different events that we have going I- including the ones that are in the different areas everybody hears about Summerfest and everybody hears about german fest and Festa italiana but but it's it's some of these other thing festivals as well and tosa fest is certainly one of those and i think this is going to turn out to be a great great move um uh, i 'm kind of running out of time here a couple things uh, the Milwaukee police the Fire and Police Commission is going to be choosing an interim replacement for ed flynn he 's stepping down shortly um, and it's weird. it 's weird this isn 't the permanent replacement. But it's the interim replacement, and they're going through an interim replacement chief search, which is very, very unusual. But there were actually three remaining candidates, all of whom were in the department or are in the department now. Um, Inspector Michael J. Brunson, Captain Alfonso Morales, and many of us thought that the leading and the obvious choice for the interim chief was going to be uh, Assistant Police Chief James Harpool, who is very, very well respected in the department he announced yesterday that that he's he's going to he's pulled his name out of consideration and he's going to be retiring along with Ed Flynn he, he's he's eligible to go and he said well it was apparent to me going through the process that they wanted to make changes and i wasn't going to be one of the people that was going to get consideration so it's kind of like the interview for a job In football, you know that you're not going to get the job, so you pull your name out of consideration. Let me just say this. Assistant Police Chief James Harpool, he is a class act. He has always been a class act. I think he would have been an ideal choice for the interim police chief. I don't know about the permanent chief, what they're looking for, but somebody to continue keeping the trains running on time, I think Harpool would have been great. Um, He has provided a lot of service to the department over the years. I know a lot of people who respect him greatly and kind of sorry to see him go.